Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Turkey's economy is at the top of the agenda as recently re-elected President Erdogan announced his new cabinet. This was clear from the appointment of former economic czar Mehmet Şimşek, an advocate for a return to orthodox economic policies as treasury and finance minister. Despite this move and the message of reform and normalization that Erdogan hopes to convey with his new cabinet, markets remain skeptical as the Turkish lira continued its slide against the dollar. Professor Henri Barki, an adjunct senior fellow for Middle East Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations and the Cohen Chair in International Relations at Lehigh University, joins me to look at what to expect from Erdogan's new cabinet and the key challenges that lie ahead when it comes to the economy. Henri, always great to have you back on The Greek Current. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Henri, this week Erdogan unveiled his new cabinet, and it's being described by some as reform-oriented. Should we expect real reforms here, or is this simply an exercise in window dressing? Well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by reform. There is certainly going to be economic changes. I mean, by hiring Mehmet Shimshek as his treasury and finance minister, Erdogan is trying to say, look, the Turkish economy is in real trouble. I know it. We have to do something about it. And here is somebody of international stature who will redress the situation. In terms of the rest of the cabinet, it's slightly more professional, I would say. You have more high-quality people than before in some positions, maybe energy, certainly foreign ministry, also defense. But it's also disappointing. I mean, here's a cabinet with only one woman, and that woman, of course, is in charge of family affairs. I mean, that's the only thing women can do, right, is take care of families. There's nothing in the Turkish government, a country of 80-plus million people, where women can do something more than family issues. So the next is disappointing. When you look at the foreign ministry, the big change is that Hakan Fidan, who used to be the head of Turkish intelligence and has been on President Erdogan's side for a very, very long time, so knows the president, works well with the president, and he's a quieter guy, he's less pretentious, his predecessor, Çavuşoğlu, was somebody who was very, very insecure. And you saw it in everything he did. was not very imaginative. Or, let me leave it at that. And he always tried to kind of show off and also tried to be more royalist than the king. Because at the end of the day, his relationship with Erdogan was tenuous. Yet, yet, he was kept there for eight and a half years, which is really incomprehensible. I don't, I don't understand why Erdogan did that, unless he wanted essentially to control the foreign ministry and foreign policy through his advisor, Ibrahim Kalin, and Hakan Fidan, and couldn't care much about Cevushol and just left him there as somebody, you know, window dressing, as you would put it. So in that sense, too. And also in defense... Akar, the outgoing defense minister who had been chief of staff during the 2016 coup, his role in that coup was always very curious. Nobody, at least, I mean, I don't, I'm sure, knows, but most of us don't exactly know what role Akar played. And it seems like Akar essentially served whatever it is he served for Erdogan. And now he has somebody who he trusts more and is also appears more competent. Though Akai was not terrible. I mean, I shouldn't say Akai was terrible, but unlike Shavushol. So you have better people. But look, 
everything is detailed. The issue here is economics, economics, economics. Henri, as you mentioned, you know, the key is the economy, and the lira's recent freefall is a reflection of what Erdogan is up against. He has selected, as you said, economic czar Mehmet Simsek to join his cabinet. And on paper, this looks like the right person to bring back orthodox economic policies to Turkey. The question is, though, will Erdogan allow him to do so? Thanos, this is an interesting question because everybody asks me the same question. It tells you a little bit about the perception that Erdogan has created internationally. That is to say that he's such a detail-oriented person who interferes on, in everything that if he will do the same thing with Mehmet Shemshek. I think he won't. I think Mehmet Shemshek, who did not want to take this position, was somehow convinced because I think Erdogan basically said to him, you're going to save Turkey. This is a job bigger than you, bigger than me. This is very serious. I mean, the, the Turkish economy is a couple of months away from a major, major crisis. So Shimshek must have put conditions. Right? And I suspect Erdogan will follow his promises. That said, that doesn't mean that internationally people will still believe that Erdogan cannot pull the chains. After all, everybody remembers in March 2021 when the central bank governor at the time, a newly appointed person, increased interest rates by 200 basis points on a Thursday. On Friday, he was fired. So there is that history that weighs and we can talk about this. The two things I think Shimshek will have to do to convince Erdogan. One is maybe an IMF plan. And two is a return to the rule of law. I want to get into the IMF plan first, Henri. Given the state of the economy, how likely is it that Turkey will have to go to the IMF in the near future? Well, it remains to be seen. Look, the next few months are easier months than usual in the terms of the calendar year. Why? Because it's summer, you have lots and lots of tourists who spend money and, you know, by spending money, I mean foreign exchange, which fills the central bank coffers, which are at the moment minus 60 billion, apparently, and energy prices are low. So the pressure doesn't seem to be huge, which gives Shimshek and Erdogan, included Erdogan, time to put together a plan. And... The expectation is that by the end of this month, interest rates will go from 8.5% to 25%. That's 16.5 points increase. That's unheard of. But this is what the markets are talking about. And it's, this is going to be the first, I would say, increase in interest rates. And there'll be more, smaller ones, obviously, but there'll be more in the future. And you have to give these measures a little bit of time to see if they will stick. And I can get into some of the details. I mean, an IMF plan essentially resolves the question of, is Erdogan trustworthy? Is Erdogan going to intervene? So when you sign up to an IMF plan, you're essentially getting a straitjacket. You can't really move. And so it's costly in terms of the recession, unemployment, etc., but that's the best way to get out of People don't like IMF plans, and Erdogan has always been opposed to an IMF plan. Nonetheless, that's maybe the only way you convince international markets that you can invest in Turkey again, because there's no investment, direct foreign investment going into Turkey. 
the second factor that you talked about, Henri, was rule of law. And obviously, SimSec's top priority will be to rebuild confidence in Turkey and the markets and from foreign investors. Considering the state of rule of law in Turkey, though, can he make the case to investors in a convincing way? Look, the rule of law is important in the following way. If you're an investor in Turkey, you have to be sure that the investment is one that you will be able to get back, that suddenly the government is not going to intervene. Look, even in China, which is not essentially a democratic society, right? it's run by one party, etc., foreign investors have confidence in the Chinese government because the Chinese government doesn't interfere in these things. Turkey is a little bit different. Turkey is a country where it has become more and more undemocratic, more and more authoritarian under Erdogan. And people end up in jail for really sometimes ununderstandable reasons. You say something and it gets interpreted by the presidency as an insult to the president. Boom, they open a court case against you. Uber got kicked out of Turkey the other day, just like that. There's been many companies that have lost businesses in Turkey. Also, when the government doesn't like information, they put a ban on Twitter or something like that. This is a very difficult environment in which to operate, especially considering that Turkey is not China. It's not a country in East Asia or something. It is part of NATO. It is part of the Western world. We should not have problems like that. And of course, the other thing is, talking about people going to jail for no reason whatsoever, you see people like Osman Kavala and Slatin Demetash, who are in jail despite the fact that the European Court of Human Rights has ordered them to be released. And European Court of Human Rights verdicts are binding by Turkish constitution on the Turkish government, and the Turkish government ignores it. So what message is that giving to foreigners? We can't ignore the European Court of Human Rights, even though the Constitution says we have to obey. The other thing I should say is Mehmet Şimşek is a genuinely decent human being, and he may face a situation where when he goes to Europe and the United States to sell his program to get support, that people are going to pepper him and say, why should we believe you when you have people like Osman Kavala and Salatin Demetash still in prison? I'm picking those two very important names, but there are plenty of others. And these are legitimate questions. He has to answer them, even though he's the Minister of Treasury and Finance. It's not his bailiwick, but it is a question of trustworthiness. And so he's going to find himself a little bit under pressure. This is not the environment in which he served the first time. It's a much more difficult environment for him to operate in. So we'll see how he does. Henri, I want to wrap up with a look at Turkish foreign policy. At a swearing-in ceremony, Turkey's new defense minister vowed to protect Turkey's interests and the revisionist Blue Homeland doctrine. Does this mean we should expect more of the same from Ankara when it comes to its foreign policy in the East Med? No, for the simple reason that look at what Erdogan did immediately after the earthquake that hit Turkey on February 6th of this year. Greece came out and donated money and resources, etc., And without being asked, he stopped overflights of aircraft over Greek islands, right? It was a way of sending a message. The issue for Erdogan and Turkish foreign policy is if you act aggressively, then the things that you want from the West, 
Forget the F-16s, which they need, which they must get, but they're not going to get them if they do overflights of the Aegean because the Senate has made it very clear. But it creates a bad atmosphere in Washington and in New York. So why would Washington go out of its way to support investments in Turkey, to support an economic program in Turkey when Turkey is pushing the blue homeland policy? Now, every Turkish minister has to say the prima facie talking points, if you want. If he didn't, people would say, oh, he didn't mention the blue homeland and he's a traitor, some nonsense like that. So he says it, but that doesn't mean that tomorrow they will essentially do something in this Mediterranean. They have other bigger fish to fry at the moment. Henri, it's always great speaking with you. Thanks again for joining. Thank you. In other news, Greek economic growth will remain robust with real GDP growth projected at 2.2% in 2023 and 1.9% in 2024, according to the OECD. The OECD's Economic Outlook survey highlights that economic growth remains strong despite headwinds, with fixed capital investments expected to grow by 8.9%, aided by the implementation of the European Recovery and Resilience Fund. The survey also notes that in the last quarter of 2022 and early 2023, real consumption continued to grow, reflecting a significant increase in employment. Unemployment is projected to decline from 12.4% last year to 11.2% in 2023 and further to 10.4% in 2024. Finally, the UN Secretary General's Special Representative in Cyprus, Colin Stewart, has been working to bring Cyprus President Nikos Christodoulidis and Turkish Cypriot leader Ersin Tatar together, but this hasn't been made possible yet. The Cyprus news agency has learned that the reason for this is that Tatar has not, for the time being at least, responded positively to the possibility of attending an event or paying a joint visit with Christodoulidis. Meanwhile, Stewart is expected to have separate meetings with the two leaders before departing for New York in July to inform the UN Security Council about developments related to the Cyprus problem. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.